lesson on the Heidelberg Catechism, to, to place it where we belong, to take you back to your high school catechism class where you learned all that. I know that was many years ago for some of you, longer for some than others, but let's see how your, how your memory goes. We still teach the catechism here. They get it in seventh and eighth grade here now instead of high school. But um, you've got to think back a ways before any of our time, back to Martin Luther, 95 Theses. You know that, that moment in the Great Reformation that happened back in 1517. Right? It turned, turned the church world upside down and the Protestant Reformation began. It was about 40 years after that. So the, the Protestant Reformation been going for 40 years. This new way of thinking, this new understanding of what it means to be church. And a, um, a political leader named Frederick III, who was the leader of the largest and most influential province in Germany, decided it's time to, to gather it all together into a catechism. All these different thoughts of what it means to be reformed, we got to bring it together. And so, so he commissioned two men to, to write a catechism, to summarize what it means to be reformed. Here's where the test comes. Anybody remember the names of the two men who are credited for writing the Heidelberg Catechism? Close. Ursinus and Olivianus? Yeah, okay. So maybe it was longer ago that you learned the catechism. Here's here's what you don't know, I think. Anybody want to guess how old those two were when they wrote it? You can give me one age. They're really close. They aren't the same age. How old do you think they were? Very good. One was 26 and one was 28. Pretty young guys to, to do that. They didn't do all the work themselves. They were on staff. They were on faculty that, at the University of Heidelberg. And really the whole theological department helped them write this catechism. Um, and this catechism quickly became the most ecumenical of the Reformed catechisms and confessions. It was so widely embraced and widely loved that still now 450 years later, we still love it. We still like to speak it, and we still teach it, and we still learn from it today. And again, the purpose of this catechism was to clearly articulate the Reformed faith, really to give all of us a common understanding, a common language to speak when it comes to what we believe, when it comes to issues and matters of faith. That's really the purpose of all our creeds and confessions, right? The, the documents we hold to, the creeds. The creeds give us, all of us Christians, across the broad scale of what it means to be a Christian, a common language to speak on what we share and what it means to be a Christian, right? They give us a vocabulary to speak together. And then the confessions help us to learn a specific dialect of that language, right? So, so the Heidelberg Catechism helps us to learn the, the Reformed dialect when it comes to faith. In fact, um, Scott Jose, who wrote the book, um, Speaking of Comfort, he's one of our own, a Christian Reformed guy working at Calvin Seminary. And, and he just has a couple paragraphs in his introduction that talks about that dialect piece. Let me just read these. He says, everyone speaks with an accent. Of course, as a young boy growing up in the American Midwest, he grew up right here, I assume that only other people spoke with an accent. We who lived in Michigan were the ones who spoke straight English. An accent, I thought, was something you heard in New Jersey or Texas. But when I heard a British woman do an uncannily good imitation of my Midwestern accent, I realized the truth. All Christians speak the same basic theological language, 
but all Christians do so with an accent. The Heidelberg Catechism is among the world's best summary documents for gaining access to the reformed way of talking. It's a dialect of the faith that we who are reformed should want to know about, embrace, and cherish as our own. So we're going to be learning together over the next months, probably years, um, key words in our dialect, key language that we use as reformed Christians. And we're going to be learning it from the Heidelberg Catechism. And really the first word that the Catechism teaches us in our reformed dialect is the word comfort, right? It shows up, shows up multiple times in Lord's Day 1. What is your only comfort? What do we need to do to receive that comfort and the joy that comes with it? It really sets up the word comfort as, as an overarching theme and purpose for the whole catechism, for our whole language. If, if someone were to ask you, what's a key word for the Reformed faith? There's a lot you could say. The catechism would probably say, don't forget the word comfort. What is your only comfort? What do I think of? What do you think of when you hear the word comfort? I think of my favorite living room chair where on Sunday afternoons I often try and read a book but quickly tip over and, and fall asleep, right? Because it's comfortable. It's where I like to sit. When I think of comfort, I think of that favorite fleece sweatshirt that on a cold, colder or cool fall day I put on and it just feels just right. It doesn't matter how old or ratty it looks, right? You still want to keep it. You still want to put it on because it's comfortable. I think of... I'm taking off my shoes after a long walk or after a Sunday morning preaching, getting home and kicking the shoes off. It just feels so comfortable to have your shoes off, right? I think of, um, for those of you who drive a lot, when I'm driving on vacation, you've been driving for eight hours, I think of the comfort of finally stopping and closing your eyes after they've been open for so long, right? And it's interesting that the Heidelberg Catechism then starts with that word. What is your only comfort? And really, as you, as you dig into that question and the answer, as you look at it closely, you realize that it points out two different definitions of comfort, two different perspectives. And we need to look at both of them. Hey, ask what's your only comfort in life and in death? And the first, the first definition it gives is, is really the dictionary definition that we, that we just reflected on, those first words, that first purpose that comes to mind, right? It's a comfort that gives a feeling of relief, a, a comfort that gives consolation. And that's a significant perspective that the catechism gives to us. The truth of God, the truth of his salvation, of his grace, of his power on our behalf, gives us great comfort in the midst of a broken world. Gives us that, that warm feeling, that safe feeling, that secure, comfortable feeling. Which is why I'll often use question and answer one of the Heidelberg Catechism when I'm standing at a graveside ceremony of someone who's passed away. Now talk to that family. We'll read this about comfort in the midst of the brokenness of this world. What is the comfort that God gives? We can use it in a hospital room when you're waiting for the diagnosis. Where maybe you just got the diagnosis and it's not nice. What's your comfort that I belong to Jesus Christ? 
You can use it when you're facing life's disappointments or, or maybe even an uncertain future when you don't know what the future holds, even in the face of death, right? The greatest enemy of them all. You ask the question, what's your only comfort as you're facing that enemy, as you're facing death? And the answer is, the catechism says, first of all, your only comfort is in Jesus because it points us to that final that final victory that's coming, right? It points us to the Revelation 21 picture of, of the victory finally completed when all these wrongs that we're experiencing are made right. When all the hurts that are in the middle of our hearts and lives right now are taken away. When all the tears are dried up again. Our comfort comes in knowing that there is victory that is ours, right? That that Jesus has, has assured me of eternal life, we say. I know that the end is mine. I know that I'm going to be victorious. I can find comfort in that truth. And the comfort also comes in the fact that not only can I look to that future and know that I'm going to be safe and secure with God in Jesus Christ, but in the meantime, in the middle of the, the whirlwind and the tempest and, and the storms of life, I find comfort in the truth that I belong. That's big. That I belong to Jesus Christ. That he has claimed me as his own and he holds me tight and he's faithful and will never let me go. No matter how much it may sometimes seem like God has disappeared Life is so hard. Where is Jesus? Where is God now? He's never let you go. He's still faithful. The comfort that comes from knowing that his ultimate plan, his salvation grace is, is perfecting me even now. Sometimes through, through the blessings of life, sometimes through the challenges of life, he holds on tight. He never lets go. The perseverance of the saints, right? We hold on to that. I belong to Jesus. That truth does not take away the pain and the disappointment caused by the brokenness of this world. We all know that. But it does give us great comfort as we journey through them. We never journey alone. Jesus is holding us tight. Really, it's, it's pointing us towards Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 6, right? In the midst of the storms of life, we worry, we fret, we, we are full of anxiety. And, and Jesus says in Matthew 6, I'll just read these verses to you. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what will you drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor. They don't spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Feeling whatever it is that worries you, whatever it is that, that causes you anxiety. Why should we worry? The pagans run after all these other things. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's our comfort. God knows us. God loves us. He knows what we need, and he's going to give us what we need. That's a comfort we can rest in. Right, the middle, the middle paragraph of what we just read of question and answer one. It tells us what we can be assured of, of what Jesus has done for you and for me. It reminds us that, that he's paid for all our sins. Okay, what, what was holding us captive, what, what Satan had claim on us is now set free. And now we belong to him because he has paid for those sins. He set us free from the power, the tyranny of the devil, right? We no longer are, we no longer are, are, are held captive. We no longer have Satan's claws holding on to us. Jesus has set us free. And now he watches over us. He watches over us and he works all things together for our good. Not that all things are good, right? We need to differentiate between that. There are still bad things that happen to us in this broken world. But when we belong to Jesus, he carries us through. And he works all things together for our salvation. He'll never let us go. He'll carry us to that end. I don't doubt for a moment that each one of us here has opportunities in life to experience this promise of comfort. As each one of us faces challenges in life. That's just a fact of living in a world that's broken by sin. And as you sit here tonight, you know your worries, the things that, that make you anxious. You know the challenges of life that you're facing right now. You know the, the things that are breaking your heart. The fears that you face for the future. You know the anxieties you have for maybe for yourself, maybe for your children, maybe for your grandchildren, other, other people that you love. And they're real. I'm not going to be Pollyannish up here this morning and tell you that, that it's okay, the pain isn't real, and that you don't have to experience that. Just trust in Jesus and everything will be just right. Life is hard. There's brokenness. There's pain, and Satan attacks. He does. But I will tell you that God cares deeply. And he holds you tightly. And there's comfort in that. There's comfort in the assurance that he gives for the future. And there's comfort in the grace and the strength that he gives for today. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Your only comfort is in Jesus. We can rest in his care, his love, and his power. And he'll carry us through. Your only comfort in life and in death is that you belong to Jesus. And he'll never let you go. And those arms are the warm comfort that he gives. And there's your first, your first promise of comfort. But there's a second type of comfort that this catechism talks about. This question and answer points us towards. And it's a different kind of comfort. The first one is a comfort that gives us rest, right? In the middle of the storms of life, it gives us a safe and secure place. Well, the second one moves us towards action, right? And, and the second comfort is, is, 
a different way that we use that word too. We use the word comfort as something that moves us towards action, don't we? Something that gives us the confidence to act. For instance, we could say, I'm comfortable speaking in front of crowds. Does it give me that warm, safe feeling speaking? No. But I am confident enough to do it, right? I'm comfortable. I'll do it. I'm comfortable in a hospital setting. Do we just, most people don't love to be in a hospital setting. But I'm comfortable. Send me there. Go ahead and send me there. I'm comfortable. I can do it. I'm comfortable working with little kids. Okay? Send me there. In other words, I'll go do it. It moves us towards, towards action. Shapes our daily lives. And it's not a comfort that lulls us to sleep, that sets me in my chair till I tip over, right? Instead, it's a comfort that, that moves us to action. And this one might not make us as, as comfortable because we would really like, we really like the warm, fuzzy feelings. We really like the safe feelings. But this one might, this comfort might actually make us a little bit uncomfortable. You see, most often we find our comfort, our courage to act in our own abilities, right? In our own wisdom, in our own planning, right? We're, we're comfortable to move forward. If I, have, if I have everything in control, if I've lined up all, the, all the, the pieces and parts, if I've dotted all the I's of my plan and crossed all the T's, if I'm good to go and if I'm confident, then I'm comfortable to go, right? I, I'm, I, I feel comfortable in life because I'm employable. Then I, I'm good. I can go and make a living. We're comfortable when we have a safe, uh, safe pile of money in our bank account. There, now I'm comfortable to go spend. I'm comfortable to invest because I have that. I, I find comfort in the, the medical community. I'll take some risk. I'll, I'll go be adventuresome because I know that there's good medical community behind me. Right? And we do that in life. We prepare. We make ourselves comfortable to act. And then, and then if something goes wrong, then God can be our backup. Right? Then I'll call on God to make things right. If there's something out of the ordinary, then, then I call God on it. Well, if, I think this catechism is pointing us towards something very, very different than that. Our American way. Our, our American way that we live when so much says our comfort comes in our independence. I can prepare. I can make things right. I can have confidence because I am able. And the catechism is telling us that our comfort, our ability to move and go forward in life comes from our complete dependence on God. Right? When we place ourselves completely in his care, trusting him for our future, belonging to him, then we will have the courage, the catechism says, to truly live, right? It says, it says, because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life. Okay, there's comfort number one that we talked about. I'm assured of that eternal life. Nothing's gonna pull me out of, out of God's hand. And it doesn't stop. There's not a period there. It goes on. And makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. There is your willingness, your eagerness to act on God's behalf. There is your sense of eager anticipation. There is your, your phrase that basically says, I'm comfortable doing whatever God asks me to do. Whoa, that's a big sentence. That's a daring sentence. Right. Do, you, do you dare say that for your life? I am comfortable 
doing whatever God asks me to do. I'm not sure that many of us live with that kind of comfort. That kind of comfort takes great courage. It gives great courage. But I know, I'll speak for myself. I know that I prefer to trust myself to know that I've got everything put in place, to trust in my own abilities. And, and I, will, I will step forward in life. I will act when I know that I've got, I've got it under control, when I know that it's safe, when I know that it's secure. I know that I prefer the comfort that makes me comfortable, not the comfort that maybe makes me act and move and trust and, and change and risk. And be transformed instead of being conformed to this world. Because it sure is nice and comfortable to be conformed to this world, isn't it? Who wouldn't want a God that makes you comfortable and never challenges you? Who wouldn't want a God who gives you a spiritual lazy boy to sit in until he comes and takes you home? Who wouldn't want a God who insulates us from anything that might make us nervous or afraid? Who wouldn't want a God that makes life completely easy? Our Reformed language, our Reformed dialect, calls us to be people who have the courage to act on God's design. People who have the courage to engage this world around us and to shape it for God's kingdom purposes when he asked us to go into the world. People who who have courage enough to trust God and to act on what God says. People who are wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. People who are confident in saying, I am comfortable doing whatever God asks me to do. If we're going to be reformed Christians in more than just name, then we need to embrace both sides of our relationship with God, both sides of our life with God. Right? We will recognize our God who both gives us great comfort in the midst of storms of life and the God who doesn't always make us comfortable. So each one of us here tonight needs to discern where we need to grow the most in our comfort. And some of us here, some of us here, need to better know the comfort that God gives us in the brokenness and the disappointments of this world and of our lives. Right? We need to feel his warm embrace holding us and never letting us go. We need to believe that he will carry us through to the very end. Even when we do have our doubts, we need to know that God will never let us go. We need to believe that we belong to him that no matter how vicious Satan's attacks might be, we know that Jesus wins, and we know that we win with him, and even death can't change that. Some of us need to better know that comfort. Others of us need to better know the comfort that God gives us, that gives us the courage then to obey him and to serve him, whatever he asks us to do. We need to be comfortable doing what God asks We need to live in dependence on God, saying, God, this might not be what I would design, but it's what you've designed, and so I'll go, and I'll trust in you. We need to be comfortable getting up out of our spiritual lazy boys and to do what God asks, even if it might make us uncomfortable. 
the end of Lord's Day 1. Most of us stop with question answer 1. There is question answer 2 in Lord's Day 1. It gives us a quick glimpse into where we're headed for the rest of the catechism. It asks, how do we access this comfort? How do we access the joy that this comfort gives us? And, and it really gives us three truths that we need to accept and live out. And it's really the outline for the whole rest of the catechism, right? It's talking about comfort the whole way. It says if you're going to live in this comfort, if you're going to accept and receive and then be challenged by this comfort, then first of all, you need to give up on yourself, right? We need to be honest with ourselves and realize how great our sin is, how great our misery is. And no matter how much we try to control things and to do it on our own, we will always fail. Apart from Jesus, there is no comfort. There is no final victory and there is no courage for today and hopefulness for today. So we are going to start by looking honestly at ourselves. Secondly, it says after you've seen yourself and you've admitted that there's, that there's nothing good here on our own, then we look to Jesus and we surrender to him. We know how we're saved. Let's see what Jesus has done to, to win that victory for eternity but also to give us that comfort and that courage for today. And then thirdly, thirdly, we need to learn how to serve God out of gratitude. Know how I am supposed to live now that I know what Jesus has done for me. So that's the task that we're beginning here tonight. We're learning the language that will, will teach us and, and shape us as Reformed Christians. And this adventure begins with the word comfort. We're going to learn not only how to be Christian, but how to be reformed in more than just name. We need to learn how to let our lives speak comfort in both senses of the word. Let's pray for that together. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for the immense comfort that you give us in this world. You know, we all know here, how painful the sin and the brokenness of this world can be. We've all felt it. We've all felt times where we've been lost and alone, where we felt hopeless. And in those moments, you give us great comfort. You wrap your arms around us. You hold us close. You tell us that we belong to you and that you will never let us go. And that by the power of your risen son, Jesus Christ, you will carry us victorious into eternity. Father, I'm sure there's some of us here tonight that need the warmth of that comfort. So remind us, Father, in the midst of whatever our hurts are, of your great love for us and of the great assurance we have of victory in you. And Father, I'm sure that others of us here are feeling very, very comfortable and we need to feel the comfort that gets us out of our chairs. That we might feel comfortable doing whatever you ask us to do. That we might have that comfort that moves us to action, that gives us courage to serve you and to step out in faith and to let our lives be directed by you. Father, I pray that our lives would be lives that are signified by the word comfort. That we would not only speak that word in our minds, but we would feel it in our hearts and we'd live it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. We're going to wrap up tonight by singing a song about comfort, one that uh, is very familiar that you have sung many, many